0: Hi, and welcome to Inspiration Lab, a podcast shining a spotlight on leaders, creators, and organizations that continue to motivate and inspire us in the world of human resources, entrepreneurship, and hospitality. I'm Emery Bala, founder and managing director of AB Consulting, an HR consultancy where we work with our clients to find unique approaches to human resources engagement, as well as strengthening leadership capabilities. Today, I'm joined by Mark Durliat, CEO and principal of Grace Bay Resorts in beautiful Turks and Caicos. Grace Bay Resorts has three luxury resorts and a growing collection of private villas throughout the island. Mark and I will be talking about balancing the financial and people side of the operations, especially what they've done through COVID-19 lockdown, outreach with the local community, as well as preparing for recovery and restoring guests' confidence. Mark also shares more of his story that brought him to Turks and Caicos Islands over 20 years ago, and guess what? It all started in Paris. Hi everyone. So we're taking some time now to really shift our discussion on recovery for the tourism and hospitality industry. Given our work in the Caribbean, we're reaching out to our Caribbean friends to find out how they're doing and how they're preparing for um, the next phase or the next step of their economies reopening. So today we're joined by Mark Derliak, CEO and owner of Grace Bay Resorts in beautiful Turks and Caicos. Grace Bay Resorts has three luxury resorts across the island and this also has a collection of private villas. As someone who's had an opportunity to visit many of the Grace Bay Resorts properties, I can tell you that they really are stunning and um, also have just the most incredible and heartwarming teams. So Mark, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, We're excited to talk to you and I know that through our conversation, we're also gonna get a little bit of insight into what brought you um, to Turks and Caicos and and, and some background on your career as well. Um, Let's start by talking about how are you? How are things in Turks and Caicos?
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me, Amrita. I think um, probably what's most important for everybody to know is Turks and Caicos, like many jurisdictions in the Caribbean, were, were forced to kind of close our doors of, of sorts uh, to the tourism industry back in March. Uh, March, roughly March 27th, when the government decided to close the borders to international travel, and we have been in shock since then because you know stopping hotel activity when you have large properties and lots of people and lots of different uh, expectations and bookings is very difficult. And I think um, a lot of people, including myself, I mean, we've closed our hotels from time to time in the past, but you, have, you usually have a plan when it stops on a dime like that, it is really difficult to adjust and it's, it's, it's shocking to the system. So I think that's one of the things that everybody's really trying to deal with, um, on the, on the ground here, our biggest challenge is making sure that, that the, that the employee base is taken care of. And that's, I think in many industries, people are grappling with that. Certainly in the bigger countries in the United States and Canada and Europe, they have really rich and deep, deep um, government systems. In the Caribbean, those don't exist, certainly not even closely to, close to that extent. And in Turks and Caicos, it doesn't, have, it doesn't exist. The social safety net is not here. So that responsibility largely falls on the private sector. And I think of all the things that we, we are focused on, it's that one thing. It's how can we keep our, our people feeling safe, secure, keep bread on the table, also sort of somehow emerge from
0: it. Dovetailing from that, you know, what are some of the initiatives that, uh, that, you know, Grace Bay Resorts is uh, involved in, in terms of taking care of your employees, keeping them engaged, keeping them motivated?
1: Well, um, you know, other than the obvious, which everybody's doing and we're doing right now, which is this Zoom communication, we've deployed that and we deployed it with our our management team, but obviously at a level, um, sort of a step below that in terms of communication, those managers are communicating with their department heads and their employees on an ongoing basis so there's an there's actually an active um, engagement with our employees the other thing that we've tried and some sometimes to, to mix results is to actually communicate messages through video and so I've, I've issued a video recently where I talk about what we're trying to accomplish to try and give everybody a little sense of hope um, and that seems to with our employees it seems to it seems to work because there really is no communication physical interaction at this moment in time the other thing that we're also doing is um, soon as the as the economy starts to go into its phase of reopening we're going to reopen many of our hotel staff cafeterias and subject to local regulations we're going to introduce uh, reintroduce the um the meal plans and letting our employees come to the resorts even though we're closed e- and even if they're not working because we'll obviously still do some work but it'll be more clean up and, and spruce up and training and things like that but those employees who may not be on the payroll or may not be on the schedule I should say for a specific day will be allowed to come to the resort and connect through our staff ca- cafeterias in a obviously a specific way which may be defined by government so we're hoping that that's going to have an impact and then finally um, we are rolling out our staples program where our our managers and our employees will be going into the communities and delivering goods and services to those who may not be able to travel Uh, you know those kinds of things are going to be very valuable to us
0: And Mark, you recently did a session with the TCHTA on um, you know, that, that equation between the financial and the people side of the operations. Obviously uh, a precarious situation and one that every hotelier is is dealing with right now. Um, tell us a little bit more about some of the conversations that you're having with your owners, you know, investors um, and employees.
1: Well, I'll start with the, with in the in list in, in the order you gave. Um, interesting when you and you obviously know this that we have a condo hotel model here that's really really worked well for us and um it is something that we nurture very carefully so starting with the owners and when i say owners i talk about the condo homes there are right. owners of the condos and then there are owners of real of the management companies or the real estate ownership companies of which we're one but the condo owners interestingly have this incredibly rich and and powerful relationship with this with this destination so when we've reached out to them with information about what's happening they have actively asked to help and invariably that help is focused around uh employees um so we have been communicating with them almost every week See, so this is, even if it's the smallest bit of information, we say, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. This is what the government is saying. And it's, you know, it could be very simple information. It could be very complex information. It depends on what it is. But so the owners have been extremely engaged. And most importantly, they've been, they've wanted to help. With uh, investors, I think investors are decidedly, uh, decidedly a different, a different a, a category because they obviously have the same attitude that I have we as a company feel that broadly across our entire investor group about taking care of our employees but they're focused more on how long and how much kind of support financially do we actually need to put into our organization to ensure the time frame that we're going through this crisis and i think that is the biggest question all the time is really how long is this going to last how much can we deploy during that time to stay alive Um, And how are we going to restart this engine? Mm -hmm. That is the part that is the conversation with with investors. And I would say in the investor group, I'd also include the banks. And the banks, I think, are, you know, everybody's calling the bank right now saying, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? So they are also in that, how long is this going to last? What are we going to do sort of um, mindset? And I don't, I haven't got this strong sense that everybody is ready to say do this this or this it's kind of a blend of all three and we're trying things as we go and hopefully buying a little time with some of the decisions we make um, um, and then finally with employees you, you get a, you get a wide wide range of responses to what's going on there is the employee who who is who can't cannot believe that he or she still is employed the hotels are closed, there isn't a customer in sight, there's no airport. It's obvious nobody has any work and yet they still receive a wage. And I think those employees are, they're, they're highly emotional about that fact. And that's, you know, it's, it's obviously, um, it's, it's moving and stirring, but it's also sometimes a little bit depressing because it just kind of, it, there's this sense of, when is somebody gonna pull the rug out from my from under me? And we wanna try and avoid that occurring.
0: What are you doing right now in terms of reinstilling confidence in your, in your customer base, right, And your outreach to them? Uh, we're hearing a lot of companies start talking about, you know, different health and hygiene standards. I think a you know, message came out from Bill Marriott today, and then Christopher Nesetta from Hilton's talked about, you know, the partnership with the Mayo Clinic and Lysol. So, you know, as, as, as a team, what are some of the initiatives on your plate um, around sort of that health and safety piece? Well, it's really
1: interesting that, um, that uh, Nasetta and, and Hilton did the, the Lysol piece, I think you just said. That's very intriguing because it's kind of like a co-branding of, of dealing with hygiene and sanitization and cleanliness and what have you. And certainly a company of that size, that makes all the sense in the world. But there will be lessons to be learned from that very state because there are possible ways of doing that on a more handmade basis in our organization. Right? Because we're obviously much smaller with much more of an independent operator. Maybe there's a way to find similar types of, 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 of cleaning products companies that are more organic and more homegrown that we can bring into our organization. Say we're doing it with you know North Caicos Best or West Caicos Best or you know, I don't know, uh, you know, Blue Hills and, and South or perhaps just a Caribbean based um, uh, cleaning products company that makes it feel very indigenous and authentic. Um, But to say, you know, I think that everybody is expecting us to do all of the things you just alluded to. There's going to be a long list of new steps and, and processes that we deploy, and I think for us because we are so as you say touch and we're very close to our customers and it's very high touch we're probably going to introduce things where we can be show tangible things that are happening in the rooms maybe instead of the eco card we use to deliver maybe it's a card that says please note that we did this 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 and this in your room today this you know the person was in your room at this time not this time you know and this is the these are the steps that were taken um and those those can be those can be quantified and, 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 and uh, sort of registered if you like I think that this is going to be an ev- evolving process um, and some of the things that we've taken for granted in the past where people are, are, are joining together in big groups may sort of take a while to get back to mm-hmm. whether it's buffets or it's in-room dining or it's turn down service or things like that that we think are absolutely essential we may look at those differently
0: right I like the idea of keeping it um sustainable and keeping it to something that's local to the caribbean too i think that that's also telling a great story um right there right to support local in terms of um you know reopening is there, is there a lot of dialogue right now in Turks and Caicos around where and when that might start to take place
1: well in the in, in, not exactly i would say inside the hotels there's dialogue amongst us that are we we feel like most in the business community that we need to create a goal even if there is no exact science to where we're going and when we're going to get there or what if there is some deadline that we have to sort of arbitrarily set we have to do that so that we can kind of work towards that even if it changes and so we're setting june 1st is that date right now and that's being driven by the fact that the government has said the airport will not open until at least june 1st so that doesn't mean it will open and doesn't mean it won't open so we figure well, let's use that as a date and let's just kind of work our energies around that.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so that if June 1st does happen and somebody may and there's an announcement, we're ready. Uh, and we're you know, preparing for that. That's probably the best answer I could give you at this stage.
0: No, and I, you know, let's talk a little bit more about about you. I mean, you obviously have a passion for development, and um, you know, we'd love to hear a little bit more about your career and and what brought you to Turks and Caicos. I know that you have, um, you know, you studied business and French at USC.
1: Thank you for asking. I mean, it's, it's I don't want to bore you. It, it, it could take hours and it could take minutes. I'll try and give you the bridge version. Um, yeah i was i think like many many kids if you like right out of college i just was not ready to become the straight-laced business person in in los angeles out of school and french was one of my passions so i just decided to follow that and moved to france ended up living in europe for about six a little over six years and um ultimately ended up uh, well, I think th- there was a couple of key components in, in, that, in that six-year time frame, but one in particular was when I was living in Paris, right out I of I, I, I school, I, I met, I had a couple of close French friends, and I was really struggling with learning French and being immersed in the French cl- uh, culture, because in Paris all the English speakers find each other. And so um, I was working in a computer um, company, which I was in the computer business when I was in school, And ultimately, I approached one of my friends, I said, I just really need to be networking. I've been taught networking at the Entrepreneur Program at USC. I've been taught how to use connections around you to sort of advance your career. And I said, I just don't feel like I'm networking in Paris because I'm getting trapped in these English-speaking areas. And I said, I really want to immerse myself in France, and I'll be prepared to do anything. And he said, go to Saint-Tropez. Because it was the coolest idea i'd ever heard and so i basically just moved all my stuff to Saint-Tropez and started knocking on doors in, 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 in that area um, until i found a job working on a, at a, on a beach as a plagiste. and for the next eight months i worked in Saint-Tropez and i didn't speak a word of english for probably about five months and all i did was rake sand serve coffee serve desserts and networked and believe it or not, while I was on, you know, on that beach about six months into it, I was driving a little boat to pick up somebody who parked in a yacht and the boat pulls up and it says, Hollywood, California on the back. And I asked the guy, are you from California? And he looks at me strange because he's expecting me to speak with a French accent and, you know, and he did. And, and I said, well, I'm, I went, you know, I went to USC. And so we got to talk and turns out he's the president of Warner Brothers. So, so I talked to him, we spent a few days together. Ultimately, I ended up working for Warner Brothers as kind of a stagiaire, as they call it in France, just sort of a, an apprentice, if you like, for about a year. Um, anyway, long and short, it was after a year back in Paris, after Saint-Tropez, I decided I wanted to be in the real estate business, and this time I was about 24. And I had this fortuitous meeting with Gary Player, um, a golf designer, famous golfer from South Africa. Um, Many know him um, and he was in partnership with a developer in Belgium, building a master plan golf and residential community. I was fluent in French by that time. I had a business degree, so I I encouraged them some way to, to hire me. So that was when I started my real estate career working in that development through that connection. I ended up in South Africa about five years later, starting my own business. So anyway, I ended up in South Africa by, by virtue of an introduction that Gary Player made to some investors in South Africa. And we started a condo hotel development company there. And that's where I learned this trade, in Cape Town. I spent five years in Cape Town building this company and in, 19, in 2000, I came back to the US, set up an office in Miami and started scouring the Caribbean. Somebody, t- somebody tipped me off Turks and Caicos in about 2000, and late 2000. My first visit here was in April of 2001, and by July of 2001, we had Grace Bay Club under contract, and we bought it later that year. And so the rest is here we are.
0: Okay. So um, hard as it is to imagine, but once life gets back to normal, um, which we all hope is sooner versus later, uh, Mark, what's what's the destination that you're most excited to visit or go to?
1: Well, believe it or not, my wife's birthday is in June, um, and we have a plan to be in Paris, which is probably not gonna happen. So that's the place we always love to go. We got married in France, and um, we've been there hundreds, dozens of times together. That's the place we really wanna go back to the most. France is, of course, one of the most popular destinations in the world. Even though we love the heat, and love the sea and the ocean, uh, that is certainly at the top of the list. The second would be most likely the Maldives. Maldives is just an absolute—you cannot replicate the experience in the Maldives anywhere in the world, in my experience. And some place my wife really likes—I love it—and so that's probably the top two. Um,
0: Thank you so much for your time and for sharing—you know—your thoughts and your insights. Of course, we wish you and the team the very best, and you know, hope that the recovery starts soon. Uh, I personally am very much looking forward to returning to TCI and enjoying. Uh, a glass of rosé at infinity and staring out at that beautiful sunset and remembering it for dear life um it's been a real pleasure so thank you so much i really appreciate it
1: well i appreciate you including me and if there's anywhere we can help let us know but to anyone who's watching stay you know stay positive we're gonna get through this there's a there's there's a there's a better day ahead right you gotta be
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inspiration Lab. If you found value in today's episode, please follow us on your listening platform. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And don't forget to follow us on social on Instagram at a.bconsulting. Drop us a DM. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on any future podcasts. See you next time.